This is the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Call 1-877-669-1292. And what a terrible week it's been. My gosh. The week started off with a terror attack in Sri Lanka and ended up with a terror attack in California. People dying, Jews dying, for the simple reason of being a religious person, praying in a church, in a synagogue. It is completely unacceptable that these kind of deaths happen, but not completely surprising. The attack in San Diego was a long time coming. It comes six months after the attack in Pittsburgh. And the reason I say it's a long time coming is not that I knew it was going to happen or not that I anticipated an attack on a Chabad synagogue in California. No, no, no. God forbid. The reason I say it's a long time coming is because since 9-11, the U.S. government... In fact, most governments in North America, that's U.S. and Canada, that's North America, have been focusing on the Muslim threat and have been ignoring the white supremacist threat. And by ignoring the white supremacists, they've allowed them to regroup, rearm, and unfortunately start their race wars again. Now, uh, I've been watching as synagogues across North America have been becoming fortresses. Security upgrades, security upgrades, and more security upgrades. Guards at the door. It's been a, it's been a really scary situation, and the, this, this attack in San Diego has been extremely scary. I can't express the fear that the people in San Diego felt. I wasn't there. But Rabbi Goldstein was the rabbi of the Chabad of Poway. He confronted, and he plays it down in the, in, in the audio I'm about to play you. He, he, he made a statement today, less than 24 hours after he was shot, and one of his congregants were killed in a, in a synagogue shooting in San Diego. He, he made a statement today, and he plays down his role. According to witnesses there, according to eyewitnesses in the synagogue, Rabbi Goldstein grabbed the gun, he lost, he lost a finger in the altercation with the shooter. But he saw the shooter and he grabbed the gun and he tried to wrestle the gun away from the shooter. And the shooter, a uh, round went off and blew off his, ha- his fingers. And then Rabbi Powe ran into the banquet hall. The, the, the shooter's gun jammed and the shooter got, got spooked and he ran out of the synagogue And Rabbi Poe ran into the banquet hall to save the children. The man is truly a hero. He deserves a medal of honor. Now, I I could talk to you all day about Rabbi Poe, and I will talk about him when we come back. Well, when we come back, after after you you hear his first-hand account of what happened, I want to talk to you about what we could do to protect ourselves, to protect our children, to protect our communities, to protect our synagogues. 
Of course, the show is live. You can call in. Number to call, one 669 1292 That's one 669 1292 Here is Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Goldstein of the Chabad Poway explaining what happened during the terror attack in the synagogue on the eighth day of Passover. Rabbi Yisrael Goldstein here from Chabad Poway. Just got out of surgery. It's not even 24 hours since the unthinkable, unfathomable terrorist attack occurred at Chabad Poway. It was yesterday as we were finishing reading of the Torah for the last day of Passover that I went out to the lobby and to go and prepare myself for reading the Haftorah that talks about the coming of Mashiach, that gives us our hope for a greater future. After freshening up, I come back to the lobby and our dear friend, Mrs. Lori Kay, who has been with us since the early 90s, a woman full of chesed and kindness. Her mother recently died and she came to me and asked me what time is Yisker because she wants to say Yisker for her mother. And when I told her Yisker is at 11.30, I turned around and to go to the banquet hall to wash my hands in preparation. Then I heard the very first shot. I instinctively turned around to try to see what's going on and I locked eyes with this terrorist, this murderer, evil human being standing there. He was in position with the rifle as he turned the rifle on me and I lifted up my hands to protect my face and he shot a couple rounds off, taking off my right finger and severely damaging my left finger, index finger, which we hope will survive this. I turned back around and I realized we have an active shooting going on. I saw a group of kids in the banquet hall. I ushered them together and I ran outside. My, my young granddaughter, Musia, four and a half years old, is watching her Zaidi bleeding profusely. I didn't even realize that. I took a talus, wrapped it around my hand, and I shouting as loud as I could to get all the kids away to a neighboring house, got back into shul, got all members to leave. Miraculously, miraculously, his gun jammed and there was a border patrol agent who recently discovered his Judaism. Jonathan was there. As soon as he heard the commotion, he was able to get access to a gun and he ran after, pursued the shooter who got away in the car. He got off a few rounds on the car, but he got away. And fortunately, the police were able to apprehend him, the shooter, right afterwards. There is a tremendous amount of miracles that have occurred in this event, albeit the horrific loss of a dear Lori. For me, I went back into the lobby and I saw Lori laying on the floor. Her dear husband, Dr. Howard, who's a Kohen, who came to Shul to do a Birchus Kohanim, fainted and is laying next to his, his passed away. Beautiful Lori. It was just a horrific sight to be seen. I went outside where the congregation has huddled together and I went ahead and I got up on a chair and I told loud and clearly with my fingers bleeding profusely saying, Am Yisrael Chai, nothing is going to take us down. This is what the Rebbe has taught us. This is what we live with. We are going to stand tall. We're going to stand proud of who we are, our heritage. We're going to come through this. We're going to get through this. 
And the paramedics tried to get me down and I said, I'm not leaving until everyone is accounted for. And once everyone was together, I went into the paramedics and I had a four and a half hour surgery where the surgeons worked very hard. They could not save my right index finger, but uh, hopefully the left one will. So what we're gonna do is, just like the Rebbe taught us, we are going to do something positive. I'm encouraging and I'm pleading with every single Jew that sees this appeal, this weekend, go to your own prospective synagogues, fill up the ballrooms, fill up the sanctuaries, let them see that nothing will take us down, let them see that this is not going to deter us, it's not going to scare us, the Jewish unity is what we need now more than ever. So we're all given, and we all need to stand together, hold hands together, love each other, just like the Rebbe taught us, unconditional love, that a little bit of light pushes away darkness. A lot of light will certainly push away this horrific darkness. I don't know what the future holds for our congregation, for our preschool, for all of us. Everyone is scared, frightened, and shooken up. But one thing we do know, we're not alone. We have a family of shluchim. We have a family of Jewish communities. We're all in this together, and we're going to survive this, and we're going to grow from greatest strength to greatest strength. And let the words from Isaiah, from Yeshaya Novi, and the prophet tell us that indeed, we cannot be scared. We say it every Saturday night because we know the moments of Mashiach will arrive. Hashem should heal me. Hashem should heal all of us. Hashem should be covered consolation to Howard K. Herschel Ben Yitzchak HaKoyen and to Chana Yehudis that they just lost their dear wife and mother. Such a kind, beautiful person. Her neshama should rest in peace in Shemayim. And you should be reunited with the coming of Mashiach from Meherabiyamena speedily in our days. Amen. That was Rabbi Goldstein of the Chabad Apolway. He, uh, he survived the terror attack there on the eighth day of Passover. Not only did he survive, he was the hero, or one of the heroes of the terror attack. He confronted the terrorist, wrestled the gun got shot in the process, then continued after being shot to try to evacuate his congregants, including the children of the congregation, after he had everyone outside bleeding profusely with paramedics begging him to go to the hospital. The rabbi got up on a chair and gave a speech to his congregants about Jewish unity and Jewish strength and how Jews can't allow attacks like this to continue and can't allow attacks like this to deter us from being Jewish and from going to synagogue and for being part of the Jewish community. The man should get a congressional medal. Uh, there's no question in my mind that this man is a hero. But how many of us have to be heroes? And why do we have to continue being heroes? For centuries, Jews have been killed. America was supposed to be the Jewish safe haven. It was a place where Jews could go to be safe. They fled Europe. They fled Nazism to get to the safe place of America. The land of opportunity. The land of integration. The melting pot where everybody was equal and nobody was discriminated against. America. What's happened to America? It's a question that we should be asking. What's happened to America? How have these crackpots been allowed to 
run around freely, undetected, untraced, and unstoppable. Two synagogue attacks in six months, exactly six months to the day apart from each other. Is this what American Jews have to look forward to? Way back in the late 80s, just before his death, Rabbi Meir Kahana had put together a museum of the potential Holocaust, he called it. Museum of the Potential Holocaust. And in that museum, he had collected newspaper articles and videos from North America, from, from the United States and Canada, where he tried to prove the point that a Holocaust could happen in North America at any given time. And that was his goal. His goal was to say, Jews, it's time to move to Israel. Israel is a strong country that will protect Jews, that cares about the Jewish people, that protects the Jewish people. And America isn't. And he put together this Museum of the Potential Holocaust, and everybody laughed at him. The Jewish federations, whose leaderships only care about money and who could donate what and how many hundreds of thousands of dollars they could collect, how many millions of dollars they could collect from their benefactors who pay money, guilt money, because they don't believe in Judaism or don't care about Judaism at all, but they support the Jewish community and they're stalwarts, Jewish community leaders, because they give millions of dollars to organized Jewish community groups. And these federations laughed at Khan and called him a radical and called him a crazy when he said there was a potential for a Holocaust in the United States. Are we still laughing? The New York Times, the bastion of journalism, the newspaper of record, has sunk into a new low. During the 2016 election, the newspaper shamelessly shilled for Clinton and then apologized at the end, saying that they could have been a little more objective and apologized to their readers for not being objective during the election. But now it has committed a crime against the Jewish people. And has admitted to it. Uh, you have to give them credit. So, so they published this cartoon of a dog with Netanyahu's face, with the pri Prime Minister of Israel's face on it, and a Megan David around its neck, with a depiction of Trump wearing a black kippa and a black suit, with black sunglasses, holding the dog's leash and following behind the dog. This kind of propaganda that the Zionists lead the American government is, is absolutely as close as you could get to Nazi propaganda. This is exactly what the Nazis did in 1933, 1934, 1936, 1939 to convince the German population that it was okay to kill the Jews. This is exactly what the Nazis did. This is kind of propaganda. This is Nazi propaganda. And it was published on the front page of the international edition of the New York Times. So they've released two statements already apologizing to the Jewish community for this uh, anti-Semitic political cartoon. Uh, I, I don't like using the word anti-Semitic. I prefer to use the more direct anti-Jewish term. But that's, that's what they called it. So <laughs> the apologies are kind of stupid. Um, because how could you apologize for something that you did? 
After widespread condemnations and an initial statement that critics slammed as inadequate, the New York Times apologized for publishing an anti-Semitic political cartoon. The image which appeared in the Times uh, on Thursday in the opinion section of the international print edition of the newspaper depicted Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu as a dashhound breed guide dog wearing a Star David collar and leading a yarmulke-clad President Donald Trump. After an initial wave of courage, of outrage, excuse me, not courage, the, um, the rabbi in, in California was courageous. The New York Times was not courageous. After an initial wave of outrage, the Times Opinion Department issued a statement on Saturday acknowledging that the image was offensive and included in anti-Semitic tropes. The statement blamed the publication of the cartoon on an error in judgment but stopped short of apologizing. Critics slammed the first statement as inadequate on several fronts. So, so it, was, uh, it was an error in judgment. Yeah, okay, so we saw an anti-Semitic uh, cartoon and it was an error in judgment uh, for publishing it. Yeah, we saw it. We knew it was anti-Semitic, but uh, you know, we, we, we decided to run it anyway. Now, in a second statement issued on Sunday, the opinion department said it was deeply sorry and said the decision to publish the image was a product of a faulty process resulting in a single editor working without adequate oversight. The matter remains under review and we are evaluating our internal processes and training, the second statement continued. We anticipate significant changes. It continued with such imagery is always dangerous and at a time where anti-Semitism is on the rise worldwide is all more unacceptable, the second statement read. Now, of course, the second apology came a day after one person was killed and three were injured in a shooting in a synagogue in Poway, San Diego. The cartoon was widely criticized, including by Vice President Mike Pence, Israeli politicians and pundits and multiple Jewish organizations. Dan Shapiro, former U.S. ambassador to Israel for the Obama administration, called the Times' second statement appropriate and placed it in the correct context. David Harris, CEO of the American Jewish Committee, called the second statement a far better and more forthright statement than the non-apology apology the New York Times first issued. While it should have come quicker, clearly the newspaper had heard the public outcry, took it seriously enough to think it through, and acknowledged the painfully obvious the cartoon is virulently anti-Semitic and should never have seen the light of day in the paper's edition, Harris wrote to the Jewish Telegraph Agency. Only time will tell, however, whether these welcome words will translate into serious sustained guidelines. Now, the cartoon was attributed to a Portuguese cartoonist, Antonio Moreira Atunis, who worked under the mononym Antonio and has worked for the weekly newspaper Expresso for several decades, according to the Jerusalem Post. The cartoon was originally published in Expresso. Antonio has drawn previous Israel-related cartoons that drew condemnations, including one in 1983 that, according to the Jewish Telegraph Agency, showed Israeli soldiers pointing guns at Lebanese women and children in a depiction set up like the iconic photos of Nazis tormenting Jews in the Warsaw Ghetto. So here we have the New York Times running an anti-Jewish cartoon, clearly an anti-Jewish cartoon inspired by Nazism. Clearly, if you look at the cartoon, there is no question that this cartoonist, Antonio, was 
at least inspired by Nazi cartoons and Nazi way of depicting Jews. We have uh, two synagogue attacks in six months, six months apart from each other, to the day, six months apart from each other. And you're going to tell me that there is no concerted effort, no concerted effort at all to attack the Jewish community of the United States? Of course there is. And anyone who tells you otherwise is, is lying to you. Now, I know the uh, Jewish community federations of North America like lying to their populations. They like lying to the Jewish community. They like telling the Jewish community that, um, that everything is okay. Everyone's safe. There is no threat. Don't worry. They don't want to panic you. They want people to be scared. Everybody should be happy and, 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 and everything is, is super fine. That's what they want us to tell you. And every time I've gotten onto the radio or onto the podcast or onto, onto my show at any given time, when we've had attacks on our synagogues, whether it's been swastika attacks or whether it's been broken windows or any other kind of attack on the Jewish community, and I've told the community a lot about these attacks. Over the years, I've been on this show and I've told the community a lot about attacks that Federation and the Jewish Security Council of Federation didn't want you to hear about. And inevitably, every time I've done this, I've gotten a call from somebody from Federation or somebody affiliated with the Jewish Security Council calling me and saying to me, Howie, what the hell are you doing? Why are you telling the Jewish community about these attacks? You're just going to scare people. You're just going to, you're just going to panic the community for nothing. And every time I answer the exact same thing, if the synagogue next door to my house is desecrated, or if there's a terror attack in the synagogue down the street, I want to know about it. Why do I want to know about it? Because I want to have my eyes open. I want to see if anything weird is going on in my neighborhood. If I could see anything, I could call the police and maybe perhaps potentially stop something. If I don't know about it, I'm not watching for it. It's as simple as that. And why shouldn't I know about it? What, am I a baby? You have to protect me? You have to protect my feelings? Not a baby. I don't have to be protected. The one aspect of the terror attack in San Diego that nobody is talking about, that we should be talking about, and we should be talking about very seriously, is the fact that there was a gun in the synagogue. And a security agent, he wasn't officially security, he was there to pray, but he was a security agent, he worked for some security service, ran to get the gun and chased the terrorist with a gun. And the terrorist ran away. In Canada, we're not allowed arming our security guards. So synagogues have security guards that are not armed. They're unarmed security guards standing in front of the building. They're the first to die if there's any attack on the building. Maybe, maybe, maybe if by some fluke, they might have a chance to, to dial 911, maybe. But other than that, what are they going to do against a guy with a gun? Religious institutions, synagogues, churches, mosques should have armed guards at the door. People should have to walk through metal detectors. People should be checked as they walk through the entrances to these buildings. These buildings should be built up like fortresses because unfortunately we're living in a world, at least in North America now, where open door policies of synagogues have to come to an end. Open door policies of churches and mosques have to come to an end. The population has to be controlled. People have to be 
have to be checked as they walk into the buildings. We are living in a time in the diaspora where we can no longer rely on our police services and our security services to, that roam the streets and protect society to protect the Jews or the Muslims or the, or the Christians, as a matter of fact. We have to take matters into our own hands and we have to start protecting ourselves. There should be guns in the synagogues. People should be trained to use the guns. And at the first sight of an active shooter, there should be designated people in the synagogues with guns who are trained to take out the shooter before the shooter takes out many, many people in the building. This is what should happen. This is the way it should be. It's the way it has to be from now on. And it pains me to say this because uh, I, I was the last guy to say close the synagogue, lock the synagogue doors. In fact, if you look at my blog on HowWeStillBigger.com, you'll find a piece on there from years ago where I wrote about the synagogue door being locked on a Saturday morning and, and I bemoaned the fact that, that a house of worship, a house of God, has to lock the door to protect worshipers of God. I, I bemoaned that fact and I said, wow, could you imagine we have to lock the front doors? I, I, gave, I gave hell to the synagogue for locking the front doors, saying that if people want to come to pray, they should be allowed to come into the building to pray. And here we are, five, six, seven years later. I don't remember how long ago I wrote that article. But here we are, five, six, seven years later. And I'm sitting here on this show saying, hey, we have to start locking the doors. We have to start looking behind us. We have to start looking over our shoulders. It pains me to say this. But here we are. We're at the point in time where the New York Times, the most trusted newspaper in journalism, the newspaper that every journalist aspires to write to, is publishing Nazi cartoons about Jews. Putting together blood libels that Jews control the government. Encouraging Jew haters. And that's what these cartoons do. They encourage Jew haters to attack synagogues and attack Jews. Now we should have learned our lesson because we should have seen this happening a long time ago. If any of you remember the Crown Height riots of the early 90s, uh, you'll, you'll remember that the same kind of thing was happening. A Jewish guy got killed in the middle of the street in Crown Heights. After a, minor, after a traffic accident took the life of a small black boy. A traffic accident involving the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And it was an accident. Nobody killed the boy on purpose. But then, Jesse Jackson. Louis Farrakhan. Riled up the crowd. And riots for a month. People being killed, synagogues being trashed. A full month of riots in the middle of New York City. Now New York City synagogues have armed guards in front of them. It's time we started doing that too. I know it hasn't happened in Canada yet. We haven't had a synagogue attack in Canada. There was a mosque attack in Quebec City. There hasn't been a synagogue attack in Canada. But that doesn't mean there won't be one. 
Because unfortunately, we live in a time where these things are happening and are happening quicker and faster and with shorter prep time in between. We've given the white supremacists, we've given the Jew haters so much time to reload and regroup and, and reconsider their, their motives and their plans to start a race war. We focus too much on the, on the Muslim threat and not so much on the white supremacist threat. And now we're reaping the benefits of that ignorance. Feel free to call in if you want. Number to call, one 669 1292 That's 1-877-669-1292. I'm Howie to the Howie Silberger Show. I want to ask you the question, and, and it's a serious question. I'd really like for you to answer me uh, by giving me a call, one 669 you When you see an attack like this in San Diego, a synagogue attack, Jews killed in a synagogue. You saw, the, you saw six months ago, Jews killed in a synagogue in Pittsburgh. Does this make you scared to go to synagogue? Are you saying maybe I shouldn't go to, let's say, the Holocaust memorial event where thousands of Jews will be sitting in a, in a, in a room together? Does this make you afraid to go to Jewish events? Maybe the Israel rally next week? Is it this week or next week? Next week. Does this make you afraid? Are you afraid to go out where Jews are? Where there are large crowds of people? Because I know a lot of people are afraid that. Suddenly... Suddenly, when something like this happens, people get scared. And they don't want to go to these large events or any of these events because they're always afraid that there's a potential for something to happen. I've never been scared to go out because I believe, and I firmly believe this, and I believe this uh, for, for my entire life, I believe that when our time is up, our time is up. It doesn't matter where we are. I could try to avoid death as much as I want, but you know, when, when my time is up, I'm gone. And it doesn't matter what I'm doing or where I am. If if it's time for me to go, it's time for me to go. So I'm not afraid to go out. I mean, I won't put myself into danger. I'm not going to stand in the middle of a train track waiting for a train to hit me. But at the same time, I'm not going to avoid events, Jewish community events or any other events, where there might be a potential, a 1%, a, a 0.1% chance of being attacked. It's not going to scare me. Because the second I alter the way I live my life, the second I alter the way I, I, I move and, I, and I, the way I practice my religion, the terrorists have won. And I absolutely refuse to allow the terrorists to win. Much like the rabbi. He got shot and he went and he gave a speech. And he evacuated his building. And he made sure he didn't leave. He refused to allow the paramedics to let him leave, to, to take him away. Until he knew that his congregants were safe. Much like him. Was he scared? Of course he was. He's human. All humans are scared in situations like that. But the sense of responsibility and the sense of community and the sense of love for the Jewish people kept him going. If we give up, and we don't go to synagogue. If we give up and we don't go to the Holocaust memorial events and the, and, the, and, and the Israel celebration rallies, if we don't do this stuff, we have let them win. The terrorists have won. I'm not ready to do that. I'm not ready to let them win. Are you? one 669 1292 That's one 669 1292 are you ready to let them win? A lot of people have told me, Howie, you're crazy. 
How could you do? How could you say what you say? How could you do that? How could you say it's okay for us to go and to be part of the uh, the stuff that happens and put ourselves at risk? How could you say it's okay to to send our kids to the march of the living when we know there's terror attacks in Israel? How could you say it's okay to make Aliyah and to go to Israel when you know that the danger is there? How could you say it's okay to go to synagogue? And it's okay to go to the Israel rally. How, how could how could all this be okay? When you know there's a danger, Howie. How could you say this? How could you encourage the Jewish community and members of the Jewish community to put themselves into danger? The second you ask that question, the terrorist has won. Because what is the goal of a terrorist? What is the goal of a terrorist? It's quite simple. The goal of a terrorist is to alter the way of your life, the, the way of Western life, to alter the way you live your life—that's the goal of a terrorist. He has no other goal. All he wants to do is change the way you life and have you live in fear. He wants you to live in fear. He wants you to think twice before you do anything. He wants you to be scared. Because when you're scared, the terrorist has the power. That's what it comes down to at the end. Just a few minutes ago, maybe two hours ago, there was a press conference in Poway. The uh, Chabad rabbi held a press conference in front of his synagogue. Now, I'm not going to play the entire press conference. It was 21 minutes, but I'll play part of it because I think it's important to hear what happened. It was important to hear from the rabbi and to hear from the people in in California. So here, uh, it, this happened about two hours ago, is a press conference held by rabbi by the rabbi of the Chabad Poe. The rabbi himself was shot. And uh, I'll play a little bit of a press conference, and we'll be back uh, right after that. I invite you to call in. If you want to call in, the number to call, one 669 that's one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. It's a toll free call. Feel free to call in. You can like us on Facebook, the Howie Silberger Show on Facebook, and um, and of course uh, you can visit TrueTalkRadio.com where uh, where we have our online radio station and a whole lot of stuff. So here, uh, about two hours ago, there was a press conference held outside the Chabad Poway Synagogue. Uh, that is the synagogue where a 19-year-old gunman opened fire on Saturday, killing one person, injuring several others, including the rabbi. The rabbi is uh, is is the one who is hosting the um, the press conference, and uh, and here we go. So, uh, like I said, I'm not going to play the whole press conference. It's a little long, but uh, I'll play you a g- good part of it. Hey, rabbi, thank you, sir. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. We are here together, standing on sacred property, a synagogue, a house of prayer. Where 24 hours ago saw terrorism in the worst of way. Yesterday was the last day of Passover. Passover, we celebrate our freedom, our independence from slavery. Yesterday was the day that we came together for memorial service for those from the past generations. My wife and I came here 33 years ago 
This was an empty piece of land. I was 24 years old, she was 20 years old. We dedicated our life to do good for humanity. We built this community center with the help of all of our members and our supporters and our philanthropists. It was no easy task. We built it with one goal in mind, that this should be a warm home, a welcoming home, a safe home, that people from all walks in life can come and partake in all of our programs, from our preschool, our synagogue, our wonderful friendship circle serving children with special needs. This is what we are all about. After 33 years, we did not expect what happened here yesterday. I was preparing for my sermon. I walked out of the sanctuary and I walked into the lobby and I met my dear friend, Lori Kay, a blessed memory. She came here because her mother recently passed away and she wanted to honor her mother at the memorial service. She invited her daughter Hannah to come and sit with her, her only daughter, who drove down from LA to be with her mother for the memorial service. She looks at me in the lobby. She says, Rabbi, what time is Yisker? What time is the memorial service? I told her at 11.30. I went to my office to freshen up. I came back and Lori is there. For those of us who know Lori, know that she is a person of unconditional love. I have known her for close to 25 years. She was a pioneer member from our congregation. She used to work for Wells Fargo. She helped secure us the loan for this building, which is a very difficult task in the early 90s. She was one that went out of her way to always be there for those in need. When one of our members' wives was diagnosed with breast cancer, she took it upon herself to drive her to every single doctor's appointment, to be there for the children. Lori had unconditional love for all. She was the most kindest, generous, great philanthropist, and a great loyal friend, which you don't find much these days. We, my wife and I had an amazing relationship with Howard and Laurie. We were there when their only daughter was born, Hannah, and they were like brothers and sisters to us. Two weeks ago, our youngest daughter got married. Laurie and Howard flew to New York to dance with us at this wedding. And we just looked at the picture of the bride and Laurie dancing together so beautifully. And here we are in the lobby on one of the holiest days of the year, the last day of Passover, smiling at each other and I walk into the banquet hall to wash my hands. I walk two, three footsteps when I hear a loud bang. I thought Lori may have fell or the table tipped over in the lobby right here. I turn around and I see a sight that I undescribable. Here is a young man standing with a rifle pointing right at me. And I look at him. He had sunglasses on. I couldn't see his eyes. I couldn't see his soul. I froze. I, my first concern was, what's with Lori? Where did that noise come from? What's happened to Lori? 
And as soon as I did that, I took a look and more shots came running right at me. And I lifted up my hands. I lost my index finger on this hand after four hours of surgery yesterday to try to save the index finger on the left hand. I turn around and I saw the children that were playing in the banquet hall. I ran to gather them together. My granddaughter, four and a half years old, sees her grandpa with a bleeding hand and she sees me screaming and shouting, get out, get out. She didn't deserve to see her grandfather like this. I ushered all the children out. Mr. Almug, Israeli war veteran, who's only too familiar with these types of scenes, ran into the banquet hall, gathered more children. He got a bullet in his leg, risking himself to save the children. And little Noah Dahan was hit by shrapnel in her leg and very close to her eye. And thank God Almug is well and Noah has been discharged from the hospital and they are in recovery. Miraculously, just miraculously, the gun jammed and in attendance at the synagogue, there was a border patrol off-duty agent, Mr. Jonathan Morales, who recently discovered his Jewish roots. He would travel three and a half hours from El Centro to pray with us at our shul, at our temple. He felt great camaraderie here. He felt this is his house of worship. And many of times I'd say, Jonathan, you work for the Border Patrol. Please arm yourself when you are here. We never know when we'll need it. As soon as the gun jammed, and as soon as the shouting was going on, he jumped up in pursuit. Oscar Stewart, a former soldier, jumped into action. He tried to tackle down the gunman. The gunman just exited, ran away, got into his car. This is all I understand from hearsay. I didn't see it. And Jonathan pursued him and was able to discharge his weapon and got the car a few times. After the shooter left, this terrorist left, I turn around to assess the situation. And I walk into the lobby and I see Lori laying on the floor unconscious. And her dear husband, Dr. Howard Kay, who's like a brother to me, is trying to resuscitate her. And he faints and he's laying there on the floor next to his wife. And then the daughter Hannah comes out screaming, Daddy and Mommy, what's going this is the most heart-wrenching sight I could have seen. I was frozen in time. I grabbed a prayer shawl, wrapped my arm, my fingers with it. That was just hanging, dangling, and bleeding all over the place. My congregation was gathered outside here. And I said, I got to do something. I got up on a chair right there. And I looked at our congregation. And I said, Am Yisrael Chai. We are a Jewish nation that will stand tall. We will not let anyone or anything take us down. Terrorism like this will not take us down. We just came from Passover at the Seder table. 
we sang a song, under, that God has protected us, that in every generation they rise up against us, but God will protect us. Yesterday, this horrific, terrible event that has occurred here, in my own interpretation, Lori took the bullet for all of us. She died to protect all of us. She didn't deserve to die. She's such a kind, sweet-hearted, just a good human being. She didn't deserve to die right in front of my eyes. I was the last one to see her and to be with her. But I do know that this is Lori. This is her legacy. And her legacy will continue. It could have been so much worse. If the sequence of events didn't happen the way it happened, it could have been a much worse massacre. But I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. The Chabad Rebbe, the Grand Lubavitcher Rebbe, was my teacher. I grew up with him. And he taught me that we need to battle darkness with light. No matter how dark the world is, we need to think of light. A little bit of light pushes away a lot of darkness. A lot of light will push away much more. And the Rebbe would say, we all need to teach everyone, no matter what religion you're from, we need to do random acts of kindness. We need to tilt the scale. There's so much darkness now in the world, but you and I have the ability to change. I will never forget yesterday, my missing finger will forever scar me physically, but it's going to remind me how vulnerable we are and also how heroic each one of us can be. We're all created in God's image. We are all partners in creation. No matter what faith and religion you're from, we all have to make this world a better place to prevent this from ever happening again. And to this, I want to thank our dear mayor. I have been in Poway living here my whole life since I got married. Our children grew up here. Now our grandchildren are growing up here. This is literally, I felt, my safest place. Growing up in Brooklyn, New York was not a very safe place. I came to Poway because I knew it was a very safe place. And it still is the safest place. No matter what happened, we are going to keep our freedom tight and close to us. We're going to stand tall. We're going to grow from it. And I also want to thank our sheriff department, who has been ex absolutely incredible from the very first call and their response. I have enjoyed being a chaplain for the sheriff department for close to 20 years, sworn in by the former sheriff, Bill Collender. And he right away told me what my mission is going to be, is to be able to be there for the deputies and give them the optimism, give them the positive feeling that the world is yet going to be a better place. And I want to take note for other of the victims who have suffered yesterday, physically, emotionally, spiritually. The best we can do to combat is to grow, build, and be stronger and stronger and stronger. And yes, every single one of us can do that. I look around the myriad of cameras that are here. The message needs to be brought out to the public. How does a 19-year-old, a teenager, have the audacity, the sickness, the, 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 the hatred of to publicize such anti-Semitism in his manifesto. How does he come here to a house of worship, do what he did? Perhaps we need to go back a little earlier and think about what are we teaching our children? What are we educating our children? 
we need to perhaps consider reintroducing in our public school system a moment of silence where children can start the day with pausing and thinking, why am I created, why am I here, and what am I going to do? So I certainly hope we can grow from this and we could become stronger from this. Chabad Apawe will survive this. I want to thank all of our community members. I want to thank all of our neighboring churches from all over San Diego to see all the religions come together and support is absolutely the warmest hug that we could have ever gotten. And to be able to be together and show unity, solidarity, I want to personally thank all of my fellow priests, ministers who have been here with me, who have called me, have shared with me your condolences. We're so grateful for that. The community has set up a GoFundMe account to help us through this very difficult time. And we're certain that San Diego will be able to participate in doing your part in helping us rebuild and get back on our feet. I want to take this opportunity to bless everyone here with blessings of long life, great health, and let's look for peace. In yesterday, I was going to read the prophecy of Isaiah. I didn't get to do it because my hand was blown out. My, the prophecy of Isaiah was that the world is going to see better days. And it's not a prophecy of, a, of some kind of a, an idea. It's reality. We pray for it to happen. And one good deed at a time will make that happen. I'm appealing to all of our fellow Jewish members of our faith and others. This Friday night, this Saturday, go to your synagogue. We need to fill up those rooms. We need to show them that terrorism, evil, will never prevail. Let's fill up the synagogues. Let's stand tall. Let's dance together. And for our Jewish people who haven't been to synagogue in a long time, this is the time to do it. This is a personal request for myself as a rabbi asking you, come to synagogue this weekend just to show solidarity. And God will inspire you and bless you that we should all be blessed with greater and better times. You should no longer have to have such press conferences, but only greater and better times for all mankind should happen speedily in our days. Amen. Amen. As I was in my house, I received a personal phone call from our President Donald Trump. I was amazed to answer the phone and say the Secretary of the White House is calling. And he spent close to 10, 15 minutes with me on the phone. And it's the first time I've ever spoken to a President of the United States of America. He shared with me condolences on behalf of the United States of America. And we spoke about the moment of silence. And he spoke about his love of peace and Judaism and Israel. And he was just so comforting that I'm really grateful to our president for taking the time and, and making that effort to share with us his comfort and consolation. And I'm open for any questions. So you said before that this could have been much worse. Can you expand on that? Well, is this the idea if the gun had not jammed? I mean, well, I'm not an expert in this field, but for what I have observed, that he was standing right there in the lobby. He was aiming at me in the banquet hall, but he could have as easily turned left, gone into the sanctuary where the seats were full for the memorial service, and he could have just used all of his clips that he had 
and it could have been such a bloodbath. I don't even want to fathom to think about how that would be, but that's... I think we're going to try to wait with the questions till the end. We're going to go to comments, and okay. then at the end, if there's time, we'll take some questions. Thank you, Mother. Sure. I'd like to ask our sheriff, representative, to please share with us. Hello, my name's Jeffrey Duckworth. Um, yep, sorry. Hi, I'm Jeffrey Duckworth. I'm the captain here for the city of Poway Sheriff Station. And our hearts go out to your congregation. Uh, we will be conducting extra patrols in around not only the synagogue, but all of the religious establishments in our city and be reaching out to all of our people in the city and assuring them that we're here for them. And uh, we appreciate uh, being here and being able to help serve. And uh, that's that's what we're here for, and we, we're sorry for your loss. Thank you. Has the gunman been charged? I'm not going to uh, talk about the uh, anything going on right now. The Sheriff's Department Homicide Unit is in charge of the investigation, and any press releases uh, that they send out, we'll, we'll let them do that. Okay. Rabbi, we cannot live in fear. That's what you want people to know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Rabbi, you came face to face with the shooter. Did he say something to you? Did you say something to him when he entered? One second, I'm going to ask our mayor. Just please hold your question. Our mayor, just please. We love you. This whole community loves you. And we'll be there with you. Take two questions. Rabbi, Rabbi, you, Eric, go ahead. Go ahead. Did, did the shooter say anything as he entered the synagogue, and did you say anything to him in that moment? I did not see him enter. He entered already as I was walking, but when I turned around after the first shot, I didn't hear him say anything. Rabbi, Rabbi you, you said that you, you said that you asked your friend to hold. What was that? We, our understanding is that your congregation has trained for active shooting scenarios. Is that true? Well, the city of Poway had a conference that I attended, many members of our congregation, where they were talking about the active shooters, how to deal with it. And how did that help you? Tre tremendously, because they evacuated so well. I mean, we had so many exit doors that it was so effective that people really, they ducked down and they crawled out. Safe areas. All right, that's 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 gonna be that's gonna be that's gonna be it for now. So I just want to make one announcement for everyone. 7 p.m. at Val Verde Park, there's gonna be a candlelight vigil, and you are welcome to attend. Also, tomorrow is going to be the funeral for Mrs. Lori Kay. It's gonna be. It's going to be probably the hardest day of my career. It will be 2 o'clock right over here. It's going, you know, there's a common expression of paying last respects at a funeral. There's no last respects over here. Tomorrow we're going to salute Lori. We're going to salute her life. And we're going to keep her legacy alive. The legacy of goodness and kindness. And our heart goes out to her husband, Howard, and a daughter Hannah 
and the show of support from our whole community at large has been exceedingly comforting to them, and I thank you all for that. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And there you have it. The rabbi from the synagogue in Poway, just outside of San Diego, in a press conference about two hours ago, calling for Jewish strength, calling for Jews to go to synagogue, calling for no fear. The man, uh, you're, you're listening on the radio, so let me just describe the scene to you. The man has two casts on his hands, on both arms, for his fingers were shut off on one arm and were severely injured on the other. Less than 24 hours ago, the man was shot, and here he is standing in front of the synagogue where he was shot, and one of his best friends were killed, giving a press conference saying, there's no anger. We have to educate our children. We have to ask the questions that aren't being asked. Questions like, how does a 19-year-old build up such hate that he could do an act like this? Maybe we should reinstill in our public schools, in all our schools, a moment of silence where children could stand and think about their connection to God and their connection to and their connection to life and what they're there to do. That Judaism dictates that we are the spreaders of light and that just a few days ago we sat at a Pesach Seder and we said the verse that in every generation an enemy rises to kill us but God protects us. The eighth day of Passover marred for this man, for that community, for Jews around the world. Now, it's not the first time Jews were attacked on Passover. If you remember, maybe a decade and a half ago, old Jewish people, elderly Jewish people were sitting at a Passover Seder in Israel. And they were massacred at the Seder. And I thought at the time, and I still think today, that a massacre at Passover is purely ironic. Here we are, celebrating the liberation of the Jewish people. Here we are, celebrating the Jewish escape from slavery. And Jews are still being killed. Still being enslaved by the hatred of the nations. And every generation, they rise up to kill us. And in every generation, God protects the Jewish people. The murderers will never win. They can't win. We can't let them win. So where do we go from here? That's the question. Where do we go from here? What do we do now? Two synagogue attacks in six months, exactly six months apart from each other. Do we wait another six months to see if another synagogue is going to be attacked six months from now? 
and have this conversation again? And allow another Lori Gilbert K to be brutally murdered? Do we do that? Or do we take action and say enough is enough? We're not going to ha- we're not going to take this anymore. We can't handle this anymore. We're not going to handle this anymore. So what are our options? What do we do? Well, there's a couple of things we could do. First thing we could do is we could ensure that every Jewish institution has a way to protect themselves. Has an armed guard, has a gun, has somebody ready to use the gun if, God forbid, the occasion arises. And we hope, we, we pray, we hope and pray that the occasion never arises. We never want the occasion to arise. But if it does, an armed guard has to be there to be able to take care of it, to protect the people inside. Synagogues have to put together an evacuation plan, a lockdown plan, a, a, an active shooter plan. I wonder how many synagogues, I, I haven't heard of any, by the way, that have actually had uh, uh, active shooter drills, lockdown drills, even fire drill. It has to be done. People have to be protected. People have to know that when something happens, where do I go? What do I do? People in in panic situations, people tend to act as cattle. And I I hate to use that terminology because I don't think people are cows. So don't go misquoting me saying I believe people are cows because I I don't. But they tend to behave like that because we get into this pack mentality. And everybody heads to the same door. There could be 15 exits and everyone's going to the same door. We have to appoint captains in the synagogues. We have to appoint people who will direct people in the case of emergency. So much work to do. And it must be done. Unfortunately, we're living in a time where we we have to do this stuff. Where we have no choice anymore. Because if it happened in Poway, California, it could happen anywhere. And if it could happen anywhere, it could happen here. And if it could happen here, it could happen to you, it could happen to me. And the solution isn't staying away from the synagogue, because that's not a solution. The solution isn't giving up on religion and saying God has abandoned us, because he hasn't abandoned us. The solution is spreading the light. Spreading the love. Realizing we're all here for a purpose. And sometimes that purpose is protecting ourselves and protecting everyone else. Being outraged when stuff like this happens. We have to be outraged. There's not enough outrage in the world today. Oh yeah, sure. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll I'll take that back. There is a lot of outrage in the world today, but it's about the wrong stuff. I don't give a damn what gender you are and what, what if you call me he, she, if, if, whatever. That doesn't bother me. I couldn't care less about that. I couldn't give a damn if you misgender someone, if you, uh, if you, if you say something politically incorrect, if you do or don't support Donald Trump, I couldn't care less. It's irrelevant. This is what people are being outraged about. 
if a speaker who I disagree with gets to speak on campus. That's totally, totally the wrong things, wrong priorities to be outraged about. A person's killed in a synagogue in, in California. Nine people are killed in a church in Sri Lanka. We should be rioting on the streets. People should be out there screaming their heads off, demanding that white supremacists be held accountable for these kind of attacks, that Muslim supremacists be held accountable for these kind of attacks, that all supremacists be held accountable for these kind of attacks. I don't care if they're white, black, Muslim, Jewish, Christian. doesn't matter. People who attack other people, people who commit terror attacks, people who attack civilians should be held accountable for their actions. And when I say held accountable, I mean, I mean held accountable. Terror should not be free. And people should know that if they commit a terror attack, there is going to be some kind of retribution. It's time to start a war on terror. But a real war on terror. Not a war on terror in Iraq. Not a war on terror in Iran. Not a war on terror in Saudi Arabia. A war on terror on the people who hate, who live amongst us. The real danger to us. Sure, we could look abroad and say, ah, the terror organizers live in some Middle Eastern country somewhere. We could do that. But that's not where the danger is. The danger is amongst the people who want to kill us here. And that's unacceptable. one 877 is the number to call. That's one 877 If you want to talk to me, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. Are you afraid to go to synagogue? Are you Are you afraid? Does this stuff scare you? Does it scare you to know that a 60-year-old woman who went to synagogue on the eighth day of Passover got gunned down in the lobby of the synagogue as she shielded her rabbi from bullets? Does this scare you? I mean, it's petrifying. It's horrifying. But does it scare you? Does it make you not want to go? Does it make you want to stay at home? I don't know. I haven't changed my mind. I think it makes me want to go to synagogue more. It makes me want to attend Jewish functions more. It makes me want to be more part of the Jewish community. Now, there's one group that did uh, that did take action immediately after the synagogue shooting, and that is the uh, Jewish Defense League. And uh, they, they came up with a statement, and I'm going to share the statement with you. I've been doing this a lot lately, sharing statements from the Jewish Defense League. They seem to be the only organization in the world at the moment who is legitimately standing up for the defense of Jews. Now, if you can name me another one, please call me, one 877 now, I got to admit that uh, I, I'm, I was never a huge fan of the Jewish Defense League. I always found them violent for no reason. Uh, like, fi- 
there was always a reason to be violent. When they were violent, there was always a reason for it. But I always found the violence that they used a little excessive. But I'm starting to understand that perhaps the violence is, is, uh, is necessary in certain cases. So the Jewish Defense League released a statement after the shooting saying that the Jewish community worldwide is under threat. On the last day of Passover, April 27th, the synagogue in San Diego was attacked with gunfire. There exist many organizations on the extreme right and left that dream of murdering Jews. The BDS and radical Islam and white supremacists are responsible for the shooting of the synagogue in San Diego. Recently, the BDS provided a platform for Ken O'Keefe in Toronto. And that is a sample. And uh, uh, Ken O'Keefe is a, is a Jew hater and a supporter of terrorism. And the BDS group, the Boycott Divestment Sanction Group, allowed, um, allowed him to speak. The PDS and progressives say that criticism of Israel is not anti-Jewish. It's not anti-Semitic. There is a need for the Jewish Defense League to expand to all major cities, they say. This organization on the extreme right and left must be infiltrated and ticking time bombs must be identified and caught. The Jewish community must learn legal firearm training. And I agree with the Jewish Defense League on that last point where the Jewish community must learn legal firearms training. And I've been saying this a really, really long time, 23 years now, going on to 24 years, that self-defense must be mandatory, must be mandatory in the curriculum in every Jewish school across North America. Jewish students living in North America must learn self-defense. And started in kindergarten, started in nursery, and work it up to grade 11, 12, 13, whatever, whatever your school system has. But high school kids, elementary school kids, kindergarten kids, nursery kids must learn self-defense. It could save lives. Self-defense could save lives. And not teaching it, we are putting our community in jeopardy. We're putting our children in jeopardy by not teaching them self-defense. Sure, I know karate, you're going to say karate and uh, judo and, uh, and all these self-defense won't stop a bullet. And that's probably true. They won't stop a bullet. But you have a, a, a greater chance of taking down a terrorist knowing how to defend yourself than you do if you don't. Simple as that. It's a simple fact. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. That's one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. I don't disagree with the Jewish Defense League that the um, that there should be mandatory mandatory firearms training for the Jewish community. I think we've gotten to the point in North America where the Jewish community needs this kind of firearms training. They need to know how to use guns. They can't be afraid of guns. Can't be lambs anymore. I know the Jewish community likes to be lefty. They like to live and love and be loved and assimilate into the communities and 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 say I'm more I'm more North American, I'm more American than I am Jewish. I I know they love doing that. And I hear you. I, I understand that that the assimilation factor is a big deal in the United States. I'm American, they tell me. I'm not Jewish. I'm, Amer I'm an American Jew. I'm not a Jewish American. I'm an American Jew. And I understand the concept. I understand the, 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 whole, the whole idea of putting America first. 
But when you're putting America first as a Jew, and other people are putting your Judaism first, and not only are they putting your Judaism first, but they want to kill you because of your Judaism. When, uh, when they do that, then you putting America first, they're putting your day, yourself into danger. You are putting yourself at risk. Seriously at risk. Unfortunately, the world puts Judaism first. They don't put America first. Unfortunately, as much as you feel like you identify with the United States, with Australia, with New Zealand... with anywhere else you're living, as much as you feel that you identify with those countries, the haters are always putting your religion first. And not only are they putting your religion first, they have the opportunity to kill you, they will kill you. Simple as that. It's the lesson we have to learn from our Jewish history. It's the lesson we have to learn from current events and from previous events. And it's a lesson we refuse to learn as Jews because we always feel comfortable wherever we are. But that comfort level is starting to get a little less these days. As more attacks on the Jewish community rise up, Jews have to start thinking, what do we do? So there's a second option, and the second option is, of course, moving to Israel, making Aliyah, and, and going to Israel. That's always the second option. Some would say it's the first option, uh, but, you know, we know most Jews aren't going to do that. So that's the second option, that give up on the hatred as the end of the world, as the end of the Jewish world in North America is rapidly approaching. You might want to give up on that and move to Israel. It's always a possibility too. And Israel welcomes you with open arms. But I know a lot of people tell me, I'm afraid to go to Israel. The terror attacks and the army and my kids will have to go into the army. I'm so afraid. The sacrifice everywhere. You're afraid to live in North America. You're afraid to live in Israel. Where could you live? What could you do? Where could you go? That's the question. If you're afraid to go to Israel and you're afraid to live in America, what, what do you do? Are you afraid? One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. That's one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. I want to hear if you're afraid. I want you to tell me. Will will attacks like this stop you from going to uh, Israel rallies? Stop you from attending attending synagogue services? Stop you from from being part of society? Because that's the terrorist goal. I am so happy that this rabbi survived. And not only did he survive, that he's, he's traumatized for sure, but he's not traumatized enough not to stand up and push people to attend synagogue and tell people not to be afraid. This man was shot point-blank range by a terrorist. And he's standing tall as a beacon and a symbol of the Jewish community. I am I, I am so impressed with this man. It's it's unbelievable how impressed I am. 
And I think that we should all be impressed by this. I, I didn't plan to talk about this terror attack the entire show. I, this was not what I wanted to do. In fact, I never, ever want to go and talk about terrorism on this show. I never planned to talk about terrorism on this show. And we always end up talking about terrorism because here we are. Our good friend, Eric Stackelbeck, released a statement today saying, My prayers and condolences go out to all the victims of the evil anti-Semitic attack in San Diego. Our team at Christians United for Israel and the Watchmen stands with you shoulder to shoulder against the rise of anti-Semitism around the world, and we will not be silent. I spent time at Auschwitz last month with Holocaust survivor Irving Roth, who told me that the Nazis' terror campaign against Jews began with words, cartoons, articles, speeches, etc., and yet we have the New York Times, the supposed newspaper of record, publishing a cartoon this week that uses disgraceful anti-Semitic imagery. We live in dangerous times, folks. We live in dangerous times. That was uh, That's our counter-terrorism expert, Eric Stackelbeck, who's now the uh, the host of, of the Watchmen TV show. An excellent TV show, by the way. Uh, you can find it online, or you can see it on the Christian Broadcasting Network. It's really a good show. Eric was on the show here for years. And that was his statement released today. And, uh, of course, he republished the, the picture of the New York Times cartoon of Bibi Netanyahu as a Dachshund dog with the Megan David, star David around his neck, and Donald Trump in dark glasses and a kippah holding a leash. Sick, vile cartoon published by the New York Times. This is the world we live in today. You say there's no Jew hatred. There it is. U.S. Vice President Mike Pence condemned the New York Times for an anti-Semitic cartoon that appeared in the newspaper's international edition over the weekend. Once again, it showed Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu as a dashhound wearing a Star David collar and leading a blind, sulk-cap-wearing U.S. President Donald Trump. In response to a tweet from the New York Times opinion account saying that the image was offensive, and it was an error in judgment to publish it, Pence accused the publication of anti-Semitism. We stand with Israel and condemn anti-Semitism in all its forms, including at the New York Times political cartoons, Pence said on Twitter. Earlier on Sunday, Public Security Minister Gilad Erdan of Netanyahu's Likud party derided the anti-Semitic cartoon published by the New York Times on, Tuesday, on Thursday and called for those responsible for his publication to be fired. Now, the New York Times acknowledged that the cartoon included anti-Semitic tropes and was offensive and called its use an error in judgment. The paper did not, however, explicitly apologize for its publication. The anti-Semitic caricature published by New York Times is shocking and reminiscent of Nazi propaganda during the Holocaust, Erdan said. We expect anyone who truly fights racism and hatred of Jews to demand an apology from the newspaper and fire those responsible for publishing the Nazi-style cartoon in the newspaper. Now, uh, I told you this before, we'll, we'll go over this again. The cartoon was drawn by Antonio Moreira Atunas. He's 66 years old. He's a well-known and sometimes controversial Portuguese political cartoonist for the Lisbon-based Expresso Weekly, who has published caricatures critical of Israel in the past. One 2006 cartoon shows a bloodied star of David as the spur of the American boot in the Middle East. Both leaders' sons also slammed the New York Times over Thursday's cartoon, Netanyahu's son Yair linked the caricature to the paper's coverage of the Holocaust during the 1940s. Here's his quote. You're an anti-Semitic newspaper, he tweeted. 
The New York Times intentionally hid the news of the annihilation of millions of Jews in Europe during World War II. The younger Netanyahu also linked the cartoon to the deadly shooting attack on Saturday in a synagogue in California. Some reports say that the shooter of the Chabad synagogue in California was saying that Trump is the slave of the Jews. I'm sure this cartoon in the New York Times has nothing to do with it, wrote Yair Netanyahu. Donald Trump Jr. called the cartoon disgusting. He tweeted, I have no words for flagrant anti-Semitism on display here. Imagine this was something in the, other than a leftist newspaper. Now, the New York Times once again released a, uh, uh, a statement saying a political cartoon in the international print edition of the New York Times on Thursday included anti-Semitic tropes depicting the Prime Minister of Israel as a guide dog with a star David Collar leading the President of the United States shown wearing a skull cap. The image was offensive and it was an error of judgment to publish it. It was provided by the New York Times News Service and Syndicate, which has since deleted it. Now, Israel's Channel 13 News reported Saturday night that Danny Dayan, Israel's Consul General in New York, had protested to the newspaper about the cartoon. Earlier this year, Brazilian news, uh, Brazilian Jews excuse me, filed a lawsuit against a cartoonist over a drawing they said was anti-Semitic. The cartoon featured Netanyahu and Brazil's new president, uh, Yair Bolsonaro, in a hug with their arms held in the shape of a swastika. The image by cartoonist Aorio was published in the Odia newspaper. Similarly, in August 2018, Israeli ambassador to Norway complained over Norwegian daily use of a cartoon of Netanyahu, which he criticized as anti-Semitic. The caricature showed Netanyahu, whose body forms a swastika, punching a member of Israel's Druze minority off a bench reading whites only. The image was apparently commenting on the then-recently-passed legislation defending, defining Israel as the nation-state of the Jewish people. So we're starting to see this kind of virulent anti-Jewish sentiment rising up around the world. We're starting to see it again. We're starting to see it. Kahana was right. As he was writing so many other different things, he was right here too. He was just way ahead of his time, but he was right. There is a potential for another Holocaust in North America. We are on the, we are on the verge of a rise up of Jew hatred like we haven't seen in 70 years. Now, God forbid it should happen. God forbid we should be caught up in something like that again. But we're starting to see the signs of it. And it's scary. It's extremely scary. So what do we do? What do we do? Do we, do we act like Rabbi Israel Goldstein, who was injured in the California shooting, and call on people from all religions to do random acts of kindness? Spread the light. Spread happiness around the world. Is that what we have to do now? And I think that's a great idea. I think it's a wonderful idea. Because sometimes a good word to somebody changes the entire life, changes their entire perspective on the world. Maybe we have to do that. Maybe we have to realize that as Jews, we're always a target. So we have to protect ourselves and we have to defend ourselves in any way possible. 
Just going to share with you one more statement. It was released by the Chabad Lubavitch organization, the head office of Chabad Lubavitch. It was uh, dated. It was dated yesterday. Stop the dangerous downward spiral of anti-Semitism. They wrote. Upon the close of Sabbath and Passover holiday in New York, we learned the shooting of Parway in San Diego, the murder of an innocent woman, and the wounding of several others who were celebrating their faith in the synagogue. On the terra firma of their freedom-loving country, it's appalling and heartbreaking. We extend heartfelt sympathies to the family of Lori Gilbert Kay upon their terrible loss. We warn with you in your time of grief. Lori was a founding member of Chabad Poway. Friends say Lori, 61, was a generous, big-hearted person who was always positive and will deeply be missed. Our prayers for a speedy recovery to Rabbi Yisrael Goldstein, Amalek, Peretz, and nine-year-old Noya Dahan, who were viciously injured by the shooter. We are grateful for the heroic efforts by individuals in the synagogue blocking the shooter from inflicting further injury and preventing greater loss of life. We are thankful to the California Highway Patrol in San Diego for their quick response in apprehending the shooter. Chabad Lubavitch is an integral component of the Jewish communities in every one of the states, in hundreds of communities nationwide, and the Jewish communities throughout the world. Our regional representatives are very concerned for the safety of every Chabad House Center, and we are grateful for all the support by the city and state agencies who work closely with them towards enhancing security measures. There are some 207 Chabad centers in the state of California serving its Jewish population across 129 cities, said Rabbi Shalomo Kronin, California's head of Chabad representative. We are grieving for the loss of life here. We are determined to ensure that all of our centers in the state are safe and protected from such hateful violence. Anti-Jewish violence in the United States has now risen to levels that cannot be ignored or dismissed. We appeal to members of the government on the local, state, and federal level media agencies, school teachers, college professors, and university leaders to lead responsibly and take the initiative to uproot the destructive scourge that threatens the core values of this country. Let us remember that when the primitive hatred against Jews was allowed to fester in many other countries, ultimately to the detriment of all other citizens, America's values of tolerance and lovingness and its commitment to law and order have been its greatest assets. The alarm bells of recent events are ringing, and we call upon leaders from all political divides to stop the dangerous downward spiral of anti-Semitism, said Rabbi Yehuda Krinsky. In the spirit of Passover, the festival of freedom, may we each commit to work to bring security, healing, and unity to our fractured nation. That was a statement by Chabad Lubavitch, the um, headquarters out of New York. And they're right. The downward spiral of anti-Semitism. Something we're going to be talking about for the next couple of weeks, I'm sure, for the next little while. I don't think we have a choice. I think we have to talk about this. I think we have to deal with this. I think we have to push our government elected people. There will be a there will be a um, a gathering of unity, prayer, and inspiration in response to the murderous attack at the Chabad House of Poway, California, in Montreal. The um, the event 
uh, right across the world, actually. There are events in every city. Uh, I got noticed by one in Montreal, but there's events around the world. Please check with your Chabad's, check with your Jewish communities, and find out when you have these events and attend them. Don't not attend the event because you're scared. Attend the unity event because you can. Because we still live in a free country. Because we still live in freedom. And we still have the freedom to stand and be religious. To stand and be Jewish. Don't give up your rights. Those of you who live in California, the funeral for the murder victim at the Poway Chabad House will be held tomorrow. The, um, the funeral will be held on Monday, April 29th at chapel services at 2 p.m. at the Chabad of Poway. That's 16934 Chabad Way in Poway, California, 92064. The funeral service is at 4 p.m., at El Camino Memorial at 5600 Carroll Canyon Road in San Diego, California, 92121, in the Garden of Eden section. So if you live in California, please try to go to the funeral of the murder victim of the Chabad Balway. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show, right here on the True Talk Radio Network. Numbers to call if you want to get in on the conversation is toll-free. It's one 669 1292 That's one 669 1292 You can like us on Facebook by going to facebook.com, searching for The Howie Silberger Show, and just clicking on like. That's, uh, that's one way you could help the show. But uh, I prefer you to be part of the show by calling in. Once again, the number is one 669 1292 it's one eight seven seven six six nine, one two nine two. Now the uh, I have um, I had a whole nother show planned for tonight, which is uh, which is always what happens. That I have a I, I plan a show I, I plan a show over the course of the week, and I had another show planned for tonight. I want to talk about Jewish freedom. I want to talk about how Passover should open the gates to our freedom and how we're still slaves and how we have to rid ourselves of the slavery, rid ourselves of the, of, of the ways we allow ourselves to be slaves. I want to talk about that. But I can't. It'll have to wait till another week because I believe that we have to talk about this. I'm always reminded during these terror attacks of something that Menachem Begin said years ago. He was standing at the United, he was in the United Nations and they were talking about they were talking about him giving up land. He was the Prime Minister of Israel at the time. They were talking about him giving up land for the Palestinians and the Germans threatened to do it by force at the time. And they threatened sanctions against Israel. And they threatened all sorts of stuff. And Begin looked at the German ambassador. And there's a video of this. You can find it on YouTube. And he said, I am not a Jew with trembling knees. I am a proud Jew with 3,700 years of civilized history. 
Nobody came to our aid when we were dying in the gas chambers and ovens. Nobody came to our aid when we were striving to create our country. We paid for it. We fought for it. We died for it. We will stand by our principles. We will defend them. And when necessary, we will die for them again. I'm always reminded of that quote. Every time there's a terror attack. We paid for it. We pay for our lives. Every single time somebody attacks a Jewish institution, we are paying for it with our lives. We're dying for it. We have to keep fighting for it. We can't give up the fight. This terror attack has really upset me. This whole month I've been I've been upset. Terror attack at the beginning of the month, terror attack at the end of the month. It's 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 mind blowing. It just makes you it just it just numbs you. And I know if you've never been part of a terror attack, you don't know how um you don't know how, how horrific it is. I've never been part of a terror thank God I've never been part of a terror attack. I've never witnessed a terror attack, thank God. But it must be horrific. And I can't imagine That somebody who just experienced that kind of attack could get up and speak as eloquently as this rabbi did. He was a victim. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. That's one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. This number to call to get in on the conversation here on the Howie Silberger Show. Now, you may have noticed I haven't played any music throughout the entire show, and there's a reason for that. We're into Sefirot Omer, and uh, on this show, we follow Jewish law, so Sefirot Omer uh, doesn't allow us to play music, so we don't play music on the show. So, let me just say this. Terror really has no religion. Just in the last three months. Well, last five, six months. There were four terror attacks in, in, in religious institutions in the last six months. In October, 11 people died in the Pittsburgh synagogue attack. In March, we all remember the Christchurch mosque attacks. In April, Sri Lanka Easter church attack. Then again in April, beginning of the month. Then at the end of the month, the San Diego synagogue attack. That's four attacks on religion. We can't keep laying down God. We can't keep denying God's existence. We can't keep allowing people to, to, to refer to religion to refer to God and religion as a dirty word. We can't keep doing this. We can't keep the hatred going. We have to stamp it out. It's time to stamp it out. I'm a... Uh, if we don't stamp it out, we're just going to see this rise in, in attacks on religion. 
You're going to see more people die. And then what? Either we die or we... It's either we die or we defend ourselves. All right. I think I'm uh, I'm done for tonight. I, I don't think I could do continue the show. It's not that I'm overly uh, emotional about this. But I don't want to talk about terror anymore. And I don't think it's appropriate to talk about anything else tonight. I think the rabbi has said pretty much it all. I can't imagine there's much more we could say. I'm not afraid. I will attend the memorial and the, the unity meeting tomorrow night in my town. And I encourage you to attend the one in yours. And I hope and I pray that this recent spat of anti-Jewish Streets and spat of anti-Jewish and anti-religious violence comes to an end. I hope and I pray that we don't stand with trembling knees, but we stand with strong, broad shoulders and defend ourselves. And I hope I pray that we change the way we we look at life. We change the way we look and educate our children. We change the way we speak about people. We watch our words. And maybe, in a generation, we could change the world. Well, I know in a generation we could change the world. We've got to start somewhere. We can't keep doing this. We can't keep allowing this to happen. We can't keep standing around and talking about terror talking and talking and talking we can't keep doing this because if we keep doing this it just means more people are dying more hatred is flying I have to um, before I leave before I, before I sign off I have to acknowledge the death of the Caliver Rebbe. He was 90, uh, 96 years old. Now, the Caliver Rebbe was a very special man. His name was Rabbi Menachem Mendel Tob. He was the eldest of the Adorim, Ador, Ad, Admorim. He passed away on Sunday afternoon at his home in Jerusalem after undergoing extensive resurrection efforts. Now, about two weeks ago, the Rebbe tripped in his home, and since then he's been very weak and unable to leave then. Close associates of 96-year-old Rebbe says that until a few weeks ago, he was functioned as usual, but before Passover, his medical condition had deteriorated. Magen David Adom paramedics were summoned during the last hours to the Rebbe's residence and administered protracted CPR operations after he lost consciousness, but were forced to declare his passing. The Rebbe was a Holocaust survivor who suffered in the hands of the infamous SS doctor, Joseph Mengele, during his captivity in the Auschwitz concentration camp. The, lady, the Rebbe later emigrated to the United States, gaining U.S. citizenship before moving to Israel. Active in Jewish outreach, the Rebbe was also known as one of the greatest commentators on the Holocaust and encouraged saying the Shema prayer in commemoration of martyrs 
of the Holocaust at the end of religious events. One of the Rebbe's hallmarks was the song Solo Coco Mar, The Rooster Crows in Hungarian, a song passed on by the founders of the Caliph dynasty, Reb Isaac Top, who heard a shepherd singing it and changed it into an allegory about the longing for the Messiah. Now the Caliph Reb, Rebbe, would sing it at the Hasidic events and the Holocaust memorials, including at the banks of the Danube, and listeners would join in the last line sung in Hebrew, May the Beit HaMikdash be rebuilt and the city of Zion be filled with Jews. Following President Donald Trump's recognition of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, the Rebbe issued a special message in which he thanked Trump and urged him not to worry in the face of critics. President Trump, after God saved me from Auschwitz, they wanted to throw me into a fire, and I said to the Almighty, Help me, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, which uh, translates to, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord our God is one. May God, my God, let me live. After miracles upon miracles, the Almighty helped me, and I came to the United States, but then I said I must come to Jerusalem. He wrote, I wish you, from the depths of my heart, that you should have a great success. Don't worry if people are talking bad about you. The Almighty is with you, and he should help you, and the world should know that the U.S. helps everybody anytime. Thank you very much, and a lot of blessings to you, he wrote. Now, um, the one thing about the Caliver Reb, Rebbe was that he did not have a beard. And the reason he did not have a beard was not because he was some kind of a religious radical and didn't want to grow a Hasidic beard. The reason he did not have a, a beard is because the chemicals experiments, the Mangale and Auschwitz, had used chemicals to experiment on this under on on Rebbe. He wasn't a Rebbe at the time, he was a kid at the time. And he used chemicals to experiment on him, and the chemicals stopped his beard from growing. So the Kevlar Reb uh, didn't have a beard. The Kevlar Rebbe did not have a beard, but what he did was uh, he grew his hair long. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, he, he passed away at 96 on, uh, on Sunday. All right, that's it for me. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show. I want to thank you all for listening, and I want to invite you back next week for another edition of the Howie Silberger Show. Uh, if you go to truetalkradio.com, um, you could you could listen to True Talk Radio and, uh, and all the different shows we offer here on True Talk Radio. If you go to the Howie Silberger Show page on Facebook, you have all the latest updates on when the Howie Silberger Show is on, plus uh, updates on my other show, political hitman on Israel News Talk Radio. And, um, and of course, um, HowieSilberger.com is the blog page. I haven't written a new blog in a while. Maybe maybe this week. Uh, there hasn't been a new blog up there in a couple of weeks. But uh, maybe this week. I've been a little busy with the holidays. But uh, maybe I'll update it this week. There's a lot to talk about, uh, including the terror attack in San Diego. I want to thank you all for listening. I apologize I'm ending uh, 10 minutes early. But uh, I, I really, there's this... Terror attacks just knock it out of me. Really, I'm I'm really sorry that I have to end too early, but uh, I'm not going to continue talking about other topics when uh, when this terror attack happened. Thank you for listening. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show, right here on the True Talk Radio Network. <laughs>